Welcome to Siggy Talks. At Siggy, we plant biodiverse pocket forests in urban areas and restore at-risk ecosystems around the world. Our mission is to help cities build climate resilience, biodiversity and well-being using nature-based solutions. On this podcast, we'll speak with our expert forest makers, scientists and collaborators about reimagining the urban experience and how we can better use nature to build healthier habitats for all life. Make sure you like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to support more. So in this episode, we'll meet Gaurav Shigar. Gaurav is a jungle tree expert at A-Forest and the director of the Maravan Foundation in Rajasthan, India. As a Sugi forest maker, his work is dedicated to restoring India's lost desert forests. And with our support, Gaurav has begun the second 4,000 square metre phase of his restoration project at Maravan. This larger forest, Sukhat Aranya, will also be a space for coexistential habitats, a seed bank and a tree nursery. We spoke to Gaurav from his home, which is in the centre of this restoration project. And as a little treat, he sent us a recording from the forest. Keep in mind, this area was degraded before Gaurav came. There wasn't that much life. So have a listen. So welcome, Gaurav. How are you doing? How are you feeling? Good, good. Yeah, perfectly well. Uh, doing great. Yeah, we're super happy to have you on. The way you talk about nature is so eloquent and you have some incredible projects happening. So to kick us off, can you tell us where you are right now and what's happening there? Yeah, so I'm right now at Maruan uh, and uh, we've been working on various things here, uh, starting from water harvesting structures to forestations and also some human habitats using natural materials and also working on uh, a kind of coexistential habitat between animals and humans and we have been working on that for last four to five years. And for a little bit of context, for people who might not be familiar with Marvan, can you describe where it is geographically and what it's like there? Uh, so it's in Rajasthan, it's the western part of India and this part of India is also the Thar Desert. So it's uh, one of the most populated deserts in the world and uh, it, in terms of also the biodiversity it's the most biodiverse desert in the world and uh, the exact location where I am there is a seasonal river uh, called Looney River in this region we are right on the banks of Looney River and this area is completely saline uh, Groundwater is completely saline. There's a salt deposition that happens over this land. Uh, it has been degraded with the uh, uh, because of the invasion of a non-native species, Prosopis juliflora, which is a Mexican species. And also the domesticated animals, which were kept in huge numbers, degraded the area by grazing it. Uh, like to the core and the vegetation of this land was completely gone because this area is prone to flash floods uh, when the flash floods happen there was nothing to stop the force of the debris or the flow of the water so in last hundred years this area has been destroyed completely to the bedrock five times 
and the villages that were here the vegetation the old trees that were here they were all completely wiped out so people moved to higher ground so we don't have any house uh, in the radius of two to three kilometers uh, it's just us <laughs> and there are farmlands and we are sandwiched between a river and its uh, tributary so that's how our landscape uh, appears yeah and it's transformed so much since then it's incredible can you talk to us a little bit about the sugi pocket forest and how that fits into the whole restoration project and how's it going uh, so yeah so this new forest that we are building it's a uh, it's it's the biggest one that we'll be doing here as well. In terms of like it 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 may sound weird like we've been observing ants, we've been observing tiny bees, how the deers behave when when you have eye contact with them, when the, how the blue bulls behave, how the birds interact, how close they uh, do they come here. So I'll I'll give you an example like whenever we are having a breakfast in our space like where I'm right now because house sparrows live with us there are bulbuls that come to our balcony that comes to our big hall and live with us so whenever we are having a breakfast in the morning there would be eight to ten birds that are sitting right next to me four to five feet away from me so with something whatever i'm like i have only one same kind of breakfast every day so whatever i'm eating so i'll be sharing some uh, to the birds on the other side there will be a wild cat that lives with us so I'll be giving that to a cat. Outside, if I go, as soon as I go in the balcony in the morning, there will be two crows that have been coming to me for last two years. They come, they come, they demand their share of food. There are bulbuls, there are brahmanis, there are different kinds of birds. So it's a whole habitat that I've been interacting with and living with. So that habitat will be expanding. So how do we design that habitat where... Each and every species feels safe as well as that interaction is a healthy interaction with the humans. So that we'll be able to create with, with this new forest that we'll be creating and that will be in a bigger piece of land. So it will be a whole big unit that will be acting as a single organism. So yeah, we, we are very excited. So how do you begin to design a forest? Is there any particular step that you think is key to success? Observation is the key. Observation just means I would just go under a tree and sit under it and just see around what is happening around me. Be aware of even an ant is passing next to me or if an ant or a small lizard is climbing upon me, I would be aware of that and see how it interacts, how these things happen. And I think if I'm being very receptive, to the frequencies around me, the answers, the solutions, the designs, all of these things will be revealed to me automatically. It will just come to me. So I, I think that's the best way, best uh, approach of creating these spaces. What were some of the challenges you had to overcome when working on the lands? There were some extreme conditions there like intense heat and drought. So what kind of research did you have to do and how did you harness the elements? We started with the surveying of the landscape, like whatever we started with the history of the landscape, what was existing here. We went to nearby old temples, some 100 year, 200, 300 year old temples, old wells, old uh, uh, like ponds, water harvesting structures that were there for 300, 400 years uh, old. So we started surveying them and started noting down the vegetation that was existing there. And the major challenge 
on our landscape was the was the water so we started with the water we designed our systems in a way that we would catch the runoff water and we would let water submerge in and then we would harvest that water right from the subsoil so we created these shallow uh, wells so figuring out these things uh, was the major challenge how it will be done so we had to create four open wells and to spend uh, hours sitting on the ground i would sit in the extreme sun 48 degrees celsius under a tree which wouldn't cast a shade and just observe ants just observe different uh, tiny creatures which were moving on the land how they would find the shade how the moisture is preserved how the temperature is lowered down so all these things tiny little observations were made and we thought there were two tree bands uh, going across our land and then it, it it just came to us that if these trees are functioning only in particular uh, growing much healthy particularly in these bands there must be something under the ground so then we started observing these trees so what is the quality of the fruit what is the quality of the seed how thick is the bark fissure how animals are attracted for the fruits of these particular trees compared to the trees which are outside these tree bands so these were the several observations we started making and then we figured out if we create water harvesting structures if these fall in these tree bands they will be definitely successful and once we crack that this right now the well that we are creating is the third one and it's a jackpot the third one uh, so it's a third jackpot so everywhere right now wherever we are digging because we know the signs of because we know the observations we are digging at this at that ex, uh, special points and we are cracking that jackpots to have that water available for us so the water is not in that great quantities that you could do farming but it's good enough it's sufficient enough to to water the forest and it's the only pond that has sweet water in 2 to 3 kilometers radius so all of the animals the foxes deers blue bulls the rabbits all these are attracted to our pond and they are they are flocking in huge numbers and were there any other crucial steps involved yes 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 we just removed the prosopis juliflora which is the invasive species of of this area and uh, we did not plant anything there was one particular grass species uh, locally we call it dabda that came back on its own we did not do anything we just removed the non native species and that grass was all over it returned all over and with that grass weaver birds started to come back because weaver birds use that particular grass to weave their nest on thorny trees so it's not the big changes or the big things that you have to do on the landscape it's just the very tiny bit of right things that you need to do and then the nature will take over and it it will respond beautifully and exponential changes uh, can be observed yeah it must have been quite magical to see all that happen from such minor adjustments and in essence it's just about creating the right environment for life to return to what it was exactly so right now in that first forest patch uh, we have peacocks living by we have uh, like last year wild boar gave nine babies in that forest patch we have like 3 to 4 feet tall monitor lizards inhabiting that land 
and uh, in it's, it's not a big forest that i'm talking about it's it's a very tiny patch the countless uh, birds that are coming that are feeding on the fruit and they are going all around the landscape and sitting over a tree and eating that fruit and dropping that seed so right now whatever those stand alone trees were there all over the site they are being sprouted under them these seedlings that we planted in our forest are being sprouted because the birds are spreading the forest uh, more than us just by existing uh, or just by living these creatures birds and they they just expand the natural beauty everywhere so yeah that's a very uh, interesting thing these are very interesting things to observe and see okay we are doing so much effort bringing so many resources and all of it and they are just existing they are just eating fruit and going and doing the droppings and they are creating forest the unsung heroes of the forest it certainly sounds beautiful the recording you sent is so alive and so loud so one of that was uh, right next to our pond where a lot of frogs are there so like you just go sit there and it's like very meditative like the constant music is going on with the birds and crows wherever you sit in on our landscape and in certain seasons there's a uh, there are there are scenes in a way that if you are standing under under particular trees you won't be able to talk to each other because the bird sound is so loud that you you can't hear the person next uh, who's standing next to you and talking so it's it's that kind of change that we have seen here a noisy change but we love to hear it it's a very healthy healthy noise There was once a phrase you said a while ago that I think about a lot. You said abundance is the byproduct of coexistence. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, and 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 I think this this line itself also came to me in a way that when we were working here we were seeing so because it's a it's not a very farming land not good rains happens in this region so only farming also happens whenever there are good rain seasons and there are mostly the failure of crops that happens in this region so but people are surviving here for millions of years so lakhs of years so this history as one of the this entire region where i am has the history which dates back to one of the oldest civilizations of the world so we have these kinds of uh, uh, indus valley civilization remnants that are found in this uh, area so people have been living here for 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 thousands of years and they have been inhabiting this land for even if they are not able to grow food so how do they how did they do it how what is the code that they cracked and then i realized that most of the food and that actually happened during the covid period so i was hearing news that the food shelves have, have gone empty people are lining up in the line to collect the rations to the food and everything in the cities and we were here and we were in, enjoying the and we were already living here since 2018 so it was already for us like that we were in lockdown or <laughs> so before the lockdown and all these things happened but then i realized ki even if some calamity or these kinds of things happened uh, people in city would go hungry because they wouldn't have any food uh, left with them uh, and they would have to line up but here though there is a scarcity of water though there is a scarcity of food uh, but the houses of people are stacked up with the food so even if uh, 
some calamity or natural the disaster happens and uh, all the food chains all these things supply chains collapses uh, people in metro cities would just die off within a month but these people have already stocked up their houses with two years of ration and they, they, they can still survive so where is all that food coming from so then I realized because these people are my ancestors have faced so much scarcity they know the value of conserving water they know the precise way of having how to harvest water how to preserve food how to have developed these skills of having these these food storations and uh, because there's no farming happening all of the food is coming just from preserving of the landscape so whatever landscapes or whatever vegetation perennial vegetations the khejdi the kheer the kumad the grasses all these things that i am talking about these are not farming pro, uh, things these are these are just the natural forests of this this landscape and they just grow like that they don't need any maintenance it's just the protection of the habitat that is required so my people my ancestors have spent thousands of years mastering the technique of protecting the landscape protecting the vegetation protecting the ecosystem here and in return this ecosystem will bestow abundance on them it would give everything from water to food to fresh air to medicines to every damn thing one could imagine as a luxury in the world so all of these things were coming in abundance just by the protection of the habitat not much effort is being made in terms of doing the farming or tilling the land or like destroying the habitat just if you just let the deers live if you just let the blue bulls live if you just let all the birds live and all the species of plants that they are dependent on and so if all these species birds animals mammals humans are coexisting in this landscape there will be abundance so that's how it it came the abundance is actually the byproduct of coexistence of all these uh, species so if we are able to achieve coexistence here nature will give abundance uh, for all This is a question that we ask everyone and it's always very interesting because people approach it so differently. So what is one thing nature has taught you? Yeah, I I think uh, like that's a long list. I can't pinpoint something that nature has taught us because I am myself a nature. Like I can't because that would require me to separate myself from nature and then look at it uh, but it's it's just the i'm just the part of nature so it's like whatever is happening i'm part of that loop so it's not i couldn't separate myself to look at in a way that okay this is the thing i have learned from nature so it's it's the loop it's the same i'm when like it's like separating this hand and asking this hand what i have learned from this uh, body so it's it's uh, it's a whole coexistence or or uh, uh, the wholesomeness of of existence uh, like everything is connected to everything like 
even a small ripple even a small change it's like if i move my hand like this there there is a change that is happening around the world and uh, so that is just the realization that happens with nature rather than more like i would rather call it a realization that i am being i am the part of nature that little fluke of existence that i will be uh, instead of uh, calling it that i would learn something from uh, nature beautiful is there anything else you'd like to add or anything that you think people might want to know yeah not really but but yeah just the observations like what all like to the audience will be listening to this and lot of questions come to me uh, like how did you learn all of this or what are the books that 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 you need to read or where you should be looking or what are the courses that you need to do or even the training that we are providing uh, so it's not about all these things it's like if you could just go in the nature and sit wherever you are supposed to create these habitats like weed your house or a forest that you are creating just go there sit there in calmness and just be receptive you'll be able to hear the sound what trees are telling you what how the water is flowing under the ground how the birds are interacting with you all these answers will be just revealed to you just by being in that space with that uh, calmness so observation is is definitely the key reading the landscape is definitely the key and whatever kind of forest is existing you don't need to be a big expert or 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 some scientific knowledge or read lot of books to do that it's very common sense it's if you just remove all that uh, cumbersome information or overload of information the actual thing will be revealed to you like what you need to do on that particular landscape you don't need to read big books you just need to be with trees with birds with uh, with these ants and insects and bees and they are the greatest teachers and they will if you are receptive they will talk to you they will answer all your questions is this deep sense of observation something you carry into other areas of your life yes yeah like like almost all so i can't separate create forest creation or habitat creation uh, from the life that i am living because i am living on the side i am living on the forest right now like just before this interview i was sitting under a tree collecting seeds from the bird droppings so whatever birds have eaten the fruits and they have done the droppings i i marked that tree okay i know this tree is particular one which tree birds love and so i for an hour i was sitting there and i was just collecting seeds one by one so i might have just picked up not more than 50 seeds uh, in an hour but that one hour and those 50 seeds are like something um are one of my biggest possessions or my precious like no gemstones or gold or any amount of money could could uh, like compensate uh, for for that so yeah so these kinds of things <laughs> are are like are part of my life that's how that's what my life is about mm, lots and lots of deep observations i think there's a lot of life lessons to be taken from this conversation I loved what you said about not needing to make radical changes or do extensive work in order to make a difference. But sometimes it's just about observing the world around you in order to understand. And 
it can often be the minor adjustments, the little tweaks here and there that make the most impactful change. Yes, 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 yes. You just need to observe nature and like whatever is happening in nature and how it is happening in your area, you could just mimic that. And that is the greatest common sense. Like I've also done permaculture uh, uh, course with, with Geoff Lawton and the what Bill Mollison or the permaculture designers manual talks about is the key observation and the uh, reading of the landscape. So if you are able to read those landscape, if you are able to talk with nature, uh, you would be able to do that. And in like even in ancient literature, the literature that has uh, that exists in Sanskrit in India, there was a particular science called Shakun Vidya. That particular science de- dealt with how to interact with birds, how to interact with trees. Like one could literally, our ancient rishis or like our ancient scientists, which we, uh, yogis and all of those, they were able to directly talk with the trees and they were able to interact, like trees would talk to them, the crows would talk to them. And as I do more observations, as I said, now I realize it's not just some random stories. There's there's a deep, very deep uh, uh, significance, or there's a very deep reasoning behind uh, behind those stories. These are not just myths. These are the actual things that people were so receptive, people were so calmed down, and so in tune with nature that they just like we are talking in a language here they could directly talk with trees and uh, other animals and ants and the answers would be revealed to them. That's how the whole Ayurveda text uh, uh, was written and just by observing nature and what tree would be given. That's what uh, Native Americans talk about the uh, like the, in the Amazon forest that they live. They talk about the very same thing. The trees would tell them uh, in what disease what species should be eaten and to to have a cure so so yeah these are uh, the things that you like it would just come if you are receptive and if you have just follow your common sense so thank you so much gaurav it's always a pleasure to talk to you thank you thank you so much namaste If you like this episode of Sugi Talks, make sure you like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to support more. Next time on Sugi Talks, we'll meet Dr. Greg Coopland, our lead scientist. We'll be talking about the hard science and data behind our forests. So don't miss that one.